Welcome back to Everything is Public Health. I'm MJ. And I'm Cass. Listeners of season one of the show uh, will know that I hate cars. <laughs> <laughs> We're back at it again. I think this is probably like the 12th time you've talked about how you hate cars. And I will continue to do so. I think there are too many of them. They ruin cities and car-centric design makes everything dystopian and miserable and uniquely American, not in the good way. Okay, we're just we're just <laughs> diving right in. This isn't even a Public Health Plus episode. We're just going we're right, into right in. It. Okay. No, my, my hatred for cars uh, rises above hot takes. It's just who I am as a person. Yes. So I appreciate that you have a unique hatred of cars. Yeah. But you don't hate them enough to not be driven around in one. Only if I have to. Unfortunately, our cities are not designed for me to completely ditch cars. I don't drive. My girlfriend drives, but I have ridden in her car and I have driven her car uh, if she asked me to. But in general, I bike everywhere and I hate cars. If I could live in a city where I don't need to own a car, I will. But unfortunately, that city is New York City, which is super expensive. You could live in Philly. When I lived in Philly, I didn't have a car. Uh, Philly's not bad. Philly's public transportation is, is pretty good. Yeah, like I didn't even... When I moved to Baltimore, I got a Zipcar subscription because like I had to... Have to I had yeah. For grocery shopping and stuff. But in Philly, I had just a cart that would collapse, that I would wheel with me to the <laughs> store, like hop on the Metro. They don't call it the Metro in Philly, but whatever. And go to the store, unfold the cart. I had my own reusable shopping bags, fill up my groceries and then wheel it home. It was great. I loved Philly. I'm going to be in Philly in a few weeks and I'm so For excited. a conference? I love Philly. Yes. Courses for a conference. Be careful because you caught COVID in the last conference you went to. <laughs> well, now I have like super immunity for the next uh, 90 days or so. I hope you're okay. But yeah, and my hatred for cars is not so much about the idea of a car because the idea of a car is fine. Like it's a motorized vehicle that gets you from point A to point B. It's that there's just too much of them. And then we design our cities around cars and that makes it really awful. Anyway, so today we're going to talk about cars again, specifically about road safety. Uh, we touched on this in the very second episode on this podcast. Do you remember? Yeah, we talked about breakaway streetlights. Yes, we talk about one of those innovations that now seems like common sense. A lot of things in public health are like this. Like, why didn't we do this from the beginning? <laughs> like, maybe we shouldn't have immovable poles sticking out from the ground so close to where the cars are going to be so that they don't crash into it. A lot of innovations are like that. After we implement it, we can't believe that there was a time that we didn't do this. And it happens all the time. But I think it's part of the reason is somebody comes up with a solution to a problem. Often it's an imperfect solution. We don't anticipate the unintended consequences. That comes along with that. So <laughs> right. these immovable poles being buried in the ground were great because we hung up traffic lights and they gave us street light. We don't want them to move. And all sorts of things. And you didn't want them to get blown over in a storm, in the in a wind, whatever. And it wasn't until a lot of people ran into these poles and severely harmed themselves or died that people were like, oh, maybe we need a new design. And this is unfortunately common, the way this works. We rarely think ahead. We usually implement something and then wait until something bad happens and then fix it. This is the importance of having public health at the table. One of the things that public health focuses on is what is the problem that's being solved? What are the other potential impacts, unintended consequences, and also unintended benefits, things that might happen that we aren't anticipating. But having public health at the table when thinking about road safety or food or all of these other things can really help bring that prevention lens so that we're not ending up creating new problems that we have to go back and address. Yeah. And uh, we're going to dig a little bit into that today. So maybe one day we'll do a history of 
like road safety because it is a fascinating history. Um, we've come a long way when it comes to road safety and reducing traffic deaths. Until recently, that is, that trend of safety seems to evaporate in the last two years among many things that COVID has caused. It seems to affect traffic deaths as well, according to NHTSA, which I actually don't know what it stands for. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Thank you, Cass. That's why we have you here. We saw an increase in traffic death in both 2021 and 2022 by around 7%, which is a very significant margin. And by some measure, post-pandemic increase is as high as 20%. It's a lot of extra death compared to before, which is weird because no one is going out in COVID. So why do you think that is? Any theories? Full disclosure, no one knows why. Yeah, nobody knows. But I think some of the things that we would consider would be the expectation that fewer people are on the road. And so maybe people are engaging in less safe behaviors like increased distracted driving or increased alcohol consumption and then driving because the perception is there's less risk because fewer cars are on the road. Although with essential workers and other folks still traveling, we didn't actually see as substantial a decline in vehicle miles traveled as I think people would have expected. Obviously, there were big declines, but there were still a lot of people who had to go to work. Yeah, I know like early on, my drives to work were substantially better than they had ever been because fewer people are on the road. The other thing that is less on the sort of road safety side, but is a really important consideration. We've had substantial increases in extreme weather events that can impact the safety of roads that can, you know, if you're driving and suddenly there's a torrential downpour or a tornado or something, you know, that can cause issues driving or a little bit of snow in places where there's not normally (laughs) snow. And then suddenly there's, you know, a 60 car pileup in a southern state. So it's no one thing. And and if anybody said, I know exactly the cause, I would say, no, you don't. But there's a lot of stuff that's been going on. Distracted driving has really increased a lot too, which is a huge, huge issue. Yeah. I just want to say really quickly. So a lot of car insurance companies are doing this like safe driver kinds of thing. I've heard of those. Monitors your driving behaviors and and you get discounts. I was never one to really use my phone a lot while I was driving. I study injury prevention. I don't work in vehicle safety, but like it would be really embarrassing for me if I died in a motor vehicle crash because I was playing with my phone. Like that would be super embarrassing. So although I'd be dead, but you know what I mean. But now that I have this app on my phone and it knows like if I pick my phone up and I'm touching the screen, like it registers that and then I lose points. They gamified so it. So my whole thing is like, I want to drive as safely as possible and I want to not touch my phone. So like, even though I, I might've used it like at a stoplight, I would never use my phone while I was actively driving. Now I just don't touch it at all. And so I think it might be something that people could consider if they struggle with distracted driving. Yeah, I think it's not a bad idea to gamify it because people behave very differently once you gamify something. I think what you said about people taking more risk is true. Like this is an established economic principle. Like when people feel safe, they tend to take on risk somewhere else because they now feel safe. They think there's less cars on the road. Maybe that's right. They think they could drive more recklessly. Also, there's another theory about how people would just have like pent up emotions from like quarantine and from lockdown they they just like as soon as they could go out to drink they did so to give a bit more context we have seen gradual increase since 2015 so the the reversal has started in 2015 but these two years we saw big spikes in traffic accidents and traffic death highest level since 2002 (laughs) 2002 (laughs) 
MJ can't. Yes, grammar. correct. And uh, the sharpest increase since decades ago, uh, possibly in the 90s or even earlier. Another thing that's worth noting is that there are racial disparities in traffic death. Not as dramatic of a difference, but there is a difference nonetheless. Why do you think that is? So I just had a student write a paper about oh, motor fair. vehicle safety <laughs> and racial disparities in crash rates. And part of it has to do with where we have concentrated minoritized communities, the investment or disinvestment or lack of investment that is in those communities, thinking about roadways, quality lighting, all of those kinds of things. And we tend to have worse conditions in areas where we concentrate minoritized communities, and then that can contribute to issues with disparities in traffic-related crashes and deaths. That's just one component, but my student just wrote a whole paper about this. You got lucky. (laughs) I asked you a question that you knew immediately. I didn't get lucky. I also knew a little bit about this, but it just happened to be fresh in my mind because I just read it a couple of weeks ago. Right. But essentially what you said is correct, right? Where are the roads paved, right? (laughs) Where are the traffic light fixed? (laughs) Not just paved, but like, where are there potholes? Where are there, you know, railings or or guardrails that can keep people from going off the road? Where are there sidewalks? Are there sidewalks wide or narrow, right? Like you could see these built environment differences depending on the demographics of who lives there. Also frequency on the road. So we are very fortunate. As soon as lockdown happened, we just turned on our internet and we said, I will work from home for as long as it takes. There are some professions that is not possible. And I'm sure there are some like, white collar profession where that is not possible but most of those profession that you are forced to go in tends to be things that you have to do physically and therefore they are just on the road more because they have to like they don't have the luxury of working from home and where are we investing to create i can't remember the term for it but basically traffic calming zones or slower cushion speed cushion kind of things like where are we putting speed humps where are we putting traffic circles like traffic circles are huge at reducing fatalities because if everybody is going the same direction and even if you pull in front of a car you're more likely to hit side to side as opposed to head on and so other kinds of traffic calming things like traffic circles and whatnot where are we investing in putting those as a as a big question yeah and this echoes the earlier point that as COVID restriction eased, there are some preliminary signs, it's not definitive, that traffic death also mellowed out. So something about COVID restrictions, no one knows for sure, but I think we talked about a lot of the factors that may be a reason why. I'll take a moment here to say that traffic death can be incredibly emotionally traumatic for the family members and loved ones of the deceased. And not all traffic deaths are because of what someone did to themselves, right? You could be doing everything right, but a drunk driver somewhere else. Or distracted driver. Or distracted driver just completely smash into you. And that could happen at any moment. Being a victim of another person's traffic negligence happens to people all the time, right? When we talk about traffic death, we need to take into consideration that it's not just irresponsible people, but innocent, responsible people are also dying because of the actions of others. Well, and there can also be failures in the technology. There have been issues where lights change at the wrong time, or they don't change, or vehicle malfunction, right? There are definitely other issues. This is perhaps a little bit off color, but there was a a funny-ish meme or something that was going around when distracted driving was really becoming a substantial problem. And somebody said, yeah, I can't drink and drive anymore because a distracted driver will probably hit me and then I'll get blamed for it because I was drinking and there's a measure of that. So 
distracted driving is a terrible, terrible issue. It's a huge thing, especially now that everyone, practically everyone has this phone now and our phones are so distracting. And uh, a lot of people use GPS on their phone. And when you use a GPS on their phone, some phones do this, but not all phones are smart enough to block your incoming text messages when you're using your GPS on your phone. So there's obviously a huge component of that. And we made drunk driving illegal because we know that that is bad. There are some laws that targets distracted driving. I think it's mostly state laws. I think it changes from state to state. But for example, if you want to use a headset, it has to be a single ear headset. There are some uh, states that you can't wear both. But you know what is perfectly legal and equally dangerous? Sleep deprived driving. There's no laws anywhere in any 50 states against sleep deprived driving. To be fair, it's hard to tell if someone's sleep deprived. I'm so glad you raised that because one of my colleagues, he was in the PhD program a year or so before me, and we may have talked about this on the podcast when we were talking about cars before, but his dissertation looked at truck drivers and distracted driving and all those kinds of things. And one of his main findings was that particularly among long haul truckers, they use their phones to keep themselves awake. So primarily through telephone calls, they would talk to people. That was a a way for them to combat the sleep, you know, sleepiness or sleep deprivation. Uh, And so it's so interesting that it could potentially serve as a tool to combat that, but it could also be its own issue. Shout out to Dr. Dave Swedler. (laughs) Shout out to him. It's also very hard to legislate because unlike blood alcohol content and the presence of a headset or a phone on your face, like how would you judge sleep deprivedness, right? It's, It's not as easy to do, but I think it's a huge problem. Like people drive tired all the time. Not going to throw her under the bus, never mind. But, um, <laughs> but people do it all the time. We know, like, I know physicians who work crazy hours and they have to get home somehow. And then you have to get home. Yeah. I was actually watching a show, a doctor show, you know, one of the ones that are on TV. It was a, an older episode, but somebody was talking about how they had, they'd had this long surgery. They fell asleep behind the wheel of their car at a stoplight and then they got a ticket, but they were like, I needed to get home to sleep. It had been like a 48 hour shift. And yeah, because you can't sleep in the hospital, right? Well, according to television shows, they sleep in the hospital all the time. But <laughs> uh, well, that's not really true. Um, so we mentioned the increase, but let's talk about some numbers, right? We lost approximately 43,000 people to traffic death in 2021. Such magnitude makes it a public health problem, obviously. And these are deaths, right? These are not even counting people that are hurt or severely injured by a traffic accidents. But what makes it even more of a public health issue is that it is a problem public health is suited to tackle because we have solutions. And now we're going to shift our attention to a funny little town in New Jersey, Hoboken. Have you heard of this place? Funny name. I have heard of Hoboken. Really? What? What is there? What is, why have you heard about it? It's come up in movies or shows or TVs. Really? TVs. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's come up in movies or shows. And remember, I used to live in Philly. And while I didn't spend a ton of time in Jersey, there were people who would come to Philly who were from Hoboken. Okay. I'm, I'm glad you know about this place. I, I certainly don't. But it's a place with a population of 60K. Okay. It's not a big city. I Fine. I will admit that it is not a big city. But 60K is a sizable amount. And as of August 25th, 2022, they haven't had a single traffic death in four years, which for a city of 60K is incredible. Again, not a big city, but it's still impressive by America's standard. Four years, no traffic deaths. I mean, if you think about the rate of deaths, so 43,000 people dying from traffic deaths, that's got to put our rate around, was like around 
Okay. So with 43,000 traffic deaths in 2021, that gives us a rate of around 13 per 100,000 people per year. So in a place with 60,000, just to make it easy math, let's cut that number in half. You would expect there to be seven or so traffic deaths uh, based on the population size each year. So the fact that they've gone four years without any you would have thought there would be 20 to 30 at least. So that's really impressive. Yes, it is impressive. I don't know what is going on with my hands right now. (laughs) It's part of podcasting. They achieve this not by luck, wishful thinking or prayers and stuff like that. Traffic death is preventable. Like, for example, just with the built environment alone, uh, they have done so much and we can also learn from them and do so much. One of the things that they highlighted in the NPR article is that they eliminated blind corners. That makes way more sense than blind orders, which is what you have written (laughs) on the... Right. They eliminated blind corners. So, I think you see this in Baltimore too, where they have posts. So it forces the car to turn wider, right? And it gives like the pedestrian little cushion zone because of the poles. So they eliminated that. So you're not just turning along the curb almost when you're turning. They have separate lanes for bikes, which I think is... When I say separate lanes, I don't mean just like a painted line on the road. They have an entire dedicated separate concrete barrier lanes just for bikes. And as someone who bikes, I really appreciate that. But there's so many things that we can do with just the built environment alone. Well, and that comes back to one of the core principles of injury prevention. We need to make the safest thing the easiest thing. And we need to make it so that you basically have to do the safe thing. Right. If we rely on human decision making, we introduce a lot of error and opportunity for people to even just make mistakes. Even if it's not intentional, you get distracted, whatever. But if you design the physical environment so that you have to function in this way, in that space, it makes it so much safer. Yeah. And as someone who bikes a lot, when there's a bike lane, but I need to take a detour to use that bike lane, I'm probably not going to use that bike lane. I'm going to take the shortest path possible as with what any sane person would do. So yeah, like having more bike lanes, even though there's like, people are always complaining about like, oh, there's too many bike lanes. There's not enough parking. But every time I see a bike lane, built that takes a parking space i'm like yes well you would you would think that (laughs) speaking about making the safest thing the easiest thing there are these great pictures that sue baker has from her travels all around the world where there had been a pedestrian overpass built where there was this really busy road a lot of people were getting hit by cars trying to run across the road so they spent a lot of money building this pedestrian overpass and nobody used it nobody wanted to walk up the stairs and go around. And so some places are doing things like building not really a tunnel. Well, I guess sort of a tunnel, but making some of these roads go over so the pedestrians can just walk on the level. Yeah. Make the cars do the work. It's a lot easier for a car to go up a hill than for people to go up the stairs, particularly like if you have a mobility issue, you're not going to walk up the stairs to be able to walk across. And some of the stairs on these open are like two stories tall. And like, why would I, why would anyone do that? So in addition to these physical environment pieces that we've been talking about, I'm a policy person. We can also think about policies and the enforcement and implementation of those policies. So places could have speeding laws and there are some disparities in traffic stops, but using things like traffic cameras or speed cameras can actually substantially reduce disparities in stops and actually can lead to reductions in in speeding and speed-related deaths in the area because it's an automatic thing. It's not, oh, are the cops here today or not? It is, if I speed on this, there's a camera, you're going to get it. Thinking about enforcing drunk driving laws. I remember being a kid in the 90s and Mothers Against Drunk Drivers 
became a big thing because we had laws against drinking and driving, but people were not being held accountable for them. No. And so MAD would show up in the courtroom and really pressure judges to hold people accountable. So it's it's sort of a policy is an important tool for population level health, but it's also a lever to change individual behavior. Yeah. And there are many creative ways to be tougher on drunk driving instead of being on the back end. There are places where bars would physically not allow you to go to your cars if you are drunk or they have checks around bars to make sure that people leaving are sober. There are ways to be tougher on drunk driving that doesn't involve having a drunk person driving to start. Um, There are ways to do that. But this is the whole point of this show is that traffic death is preventable with built environment, with policy. And uh, my favorite solution is to remove cars altogether. But, you know, (laughs) that's not viable in the near future. Uh, But another thing that I think is worth mentioning is public transit. By providing public transit, you're giving people a way to move around without having them to you know drive. And uh, that makes me really happy. But anyway, (laughs) I just wanted to mention one other thing. So I had a colleague who went to I think it was Korea for something. And when they were there, the major highway, everybody was going exactly the speed. So normally, you know, you get on a highway and some people are going really fast and cars are zigzagging and moving around. Yeah. Less of an issue in Asian countries. They implemented pretty substantial, almost constant monitoring of the speed on the highway. So the speed was 55 or whatever it was, 60. You literally, like you got on, you drove and you got off. Like people were not passing each other. There was a way reduced um, chance of collision because cars got in their lane and then literally stayed in their lane until it was time for them to get off. Again, just thinking about not just environment and policies, but really the culture of how we want to address this issue is important too. Yeah. And other countries have figured certain things out. Like many things, America is a little behind. We're still young. We're we're not that young anymore. (laughs) Um, Vision Zero is a Swedish concept of road safety named after the goal of eliminating all traffic deaths. And they have a lot of principle that we just talked about, like having the built environment, like physically putting pedestrian in a different section than the road, slowing vehicles down, using traffic circles, using like there are these like different zones where cars have to behave a certain way to prevent like people from just recklessly driving. And that's something that is very popular in Sweden. It would make sense. It was a sweet, it's a Swedish concept, but there are happen movements in America to push for Vision Zero in America. It's slowly gaining traction because people realize that traffic death is a very serious thing. So we'll put more information like that in the episode description below. But yeah, I hope that this episode highlights that traffic death kills a lot of people every year and it is preventable. And I think people need to recognize that with an investment in built environment, we can prevent a lot of these deaths. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Everything is Public Health. Cars ruin cities and we have solutions for traffic death. Stay safe out there. Oh, just one last dig. You had to get it in there. Yes, I had to. (laughs) New episodes are released every Thursday on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Please give us a rating and a review wherever you listen. It helps the show immensely. Send us questions or comments to everythingispublichealth at gmail.com. Reach out if you think we missed an important perspective or suggest a future episode topic. 
Tired driving, distracted driving can be just as bad as drunk driving. Follow us on Twitter at everythingisph or Instagram at everythingispublichealth. You can also find me on Twitter at Dr. Krafasi for now. More information regarding this episode can be found in the show notes below. Uh, Listeners, we have a Patreon page that is also our website. Visit our site for all major updates and bonus material. If you want to support the podcast directly, you can support us on our Patreon page. You can find a link for that in the episode description below. Don't drink and drive. And remember, everything is public health. Everything is public health.